For over 20 years, today's woman of impact believes she was ugly, unworthy, and found herself struggling with abandonment issues. And between what she was told and seeing her yearbook pictures, well, she believed she had no reason to think otherwise. By 21 years old, she found herself not only in $18,000 in debt, but unable to even look herself in the mirror. But she took ownership. She took a hard look at herself and realized it was time to take back control. Educating herself on finance, she was able to not only turn things around, but by the age of 22, she started her own real estate and mortgage brokerage business. By 25, she was debt free and had grown her company to seven figures. But in 2008, after the tragic financial crash, she lost everything, her house, her car, her company. And in an instant, she found herself sleeping on her brother's couch, scraping for change. But like Muhammad Ali, it's going to take more than a hard blow to keep this fighter down. Refusing to quit, she wiped the blood off her face, dusted herself off and stood back up. Now, creator and host of Redefining Wealth TV and podcast, a speaker, a coach, a private mentor, and author of Real Money Answers Financial Series, her unique and relatable approach to finance is sweeping the nation. She has made appearances on Fox and Friends, Bloomberg TV, and CNN Money, as well as featuring in hundreds of online and print publications, including the New York Post, Cosmopolitan, Essence Magazine, and the Huffington Post, just to name a few. And as if that wasn't enough, she garnered her own weekly segment as a personal financial expert on The Steve Harvey Show, reaching over 3 million people a week. So please, help me in welcoming the woman who no longer chases money, now she only seeks purpose. The woman who no longer believes she's ugly, now she only brings beauty. And the woman who no longer sleeps on her brother's couch, now she sits on Dr. Oz's. The transformative, money maven herself, Patrice Washington. Thank you, Lisa. Welcome to the show, my dear. Thank you for having me. I want to start with a quote of yours, and it was so powerful that I thought it was a perfect place to start. Building wealth has 100% nothing to do with money. It has 100% everything to do with you and your mindset towards money. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about your mindset when you had started to discover taking ownership, building, you know, understanding finance, to then losing it and what that mindset shift looked like and then gaining it all back again. So I grew up not learning very much about money directly. So by the time I was about 18, 19 years old and I started to have that introduction to it, I literally thought it was just about the tactical skills, right? Like many of us do. I thought it was, oh, well, now I know how to budget. I know how much money I should save. I know what are good accounts, what are not so good accounts. So I should be set for the rest of my life. So when I actually ended up at the point of the recession after creating a seven figure business and thinking I would ride out into the sunset with this lifestyle that I had when I lost everything, it really threw me for a loop because I grew up like many of us grew up hearing that if you get good grades and you go to college and graduate and do something productive, you should be fine. And so I found myself in this place with I was doing all the right things. So how did I still end up in this place? How did I still end up? shaking my old purses for change, looking through couch cushions for change. How did I end up at the welfare office applying for an EBT card so that I could get money for food to feed my baby? I just had a newborn baby just that year before. And 
It was at one of my lowest points where I was in the bathroom in the mirror, literally crying and bawling and saying, God, why me? I literally feel like I've done all of the right stuff. I've been good to people. I operate in integrity. I ran a great business. How did I get to this place? And before I knew it, my knees hit the floor and it was that uncontrollable ball. And finally, for me, I, I felt what I call the Holy Spirit or that still small voice that told me to get my Bible. And so when I reached for my Bible, the verse that I found was Proverbs 17, 16. And it said, what good is money in the hands of a fool if they don't have the desire to seek wisdom? And that hit me because I was like, here I am. I was on the dean's list at the University of Southern California. I got my real estate and mortgage broker's license at 21 years old. I have all these certifications and all this right. stuff. I have been so good at seeking education that I had confused education for wisdom. Oh, God. That was the first time it hit me that you can have all the skill set in the world, but if you don't have the right mindset to match it, you're always going to probably find a way to self-sabotage and end up in the same place. And I do realize that even though there was a recession going on, there were other things that I could have done differently. And the big one for me was ask for help. Mm. I didn't know how to ask for help. I grew up in a Central American family with strong single women at the helm and everybody just figured it out and made it happen. And if you did ask for help, people would say, figure it out and make it happen. And so... I waited until my back was up against the wall till my homes were in foreclosure to I didn't have a choice but to lay off my staff. You know, I didn't I didn't know how to ask for help until it was really late in the game. And so for me, um, when I share with people about finances, I've never just wanted it to be. Let me show you how to use a budget. Right. You know, let me talk to you about credit. And I did get up off that floor and I used that as a starting place. But I always knew that I needed to teach people that it was more than the money, that it was about their mindset too, and then help them bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. How do you emotionally overcome that then? So you know, mm. okay, I need to ask for help, but when it's not innate in you, there's one thing about knowing and mm -hmm. another thing about doing. How did you coach yourself through asking that and not feeling badly about yourself? Because I think that's where my mind goes when I had to make a transition to ask for help. Mm -hmm. I started feeling badly about myself. Oh, am I weak because I'm asking for help? Mm -hmm. And you start playing that, that voice in your well, head. And of course we go through this whole scenario like, what are they going to say? Right. Especially when you're the one that people have always come to for help. Right. Because oh. the other thing was... I didn't really know how to humble myself and ask because I was always being asked. Okay. And so your mind tricks you at that point into believing that you're the expert, mm -hmm. right? You start to believe, well, oh, of course I know it all. Right. So who am I supposed to go to? But you never know it all. And when I really started to think about just that, I start to get, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And it's not about having to go cry on everyone's shoulder and tell them all of your woes. It was literally about keeping my mind focused on what is the next best step. Mm. I know I don't understand what some of this looks like and going, I know that this is what I want to do, but I don't know what I don't know. Mm -hmm. So can you help me fill in some gaps? And I was pleasantly surprised at how many people love to talk about themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> how many people love to talk about themselves, but also seriously, how many people were willing to help? I have had, I think, 
just such a marvelous journey over the last decade because I've had support of people just every step of the way. And even when I didn't know what to ask, people have literally just swooped in and just given me a new idea or exposed me to something that made me go, okay, this was the next thing. This was the, you know, the thing. And Mm -hmm. I would just say, you know, getting over yourself and being more committed to the bigger picture than how you feel about what someone may say in the moment, because usually that's a story that we make up. It's not even real. Mm -hmm. And also our identity, right, is is something Mm. that we make up. Talk to me about identity, because I know that you've had to make a few shifts in your life. I know there's been so many shifts for me. One of the things that you mentioned in your intro was just even growing up, believing that I was ugly. And I remember reading online, which I I never really reply to trolls or anything. Right. But I remember reading online. Someone said um, she only gets work because she's pretty. And I was like, who? My first thought was like, what are they talking about? Because that never would occur to me and I I started to realize I need to really share more of my testimony Mm -hmm. because I don't think people understand that what they may see or perceive is something that I literally battled for 25 years, the first 25 years of my life. Um, There were people in my family who were the ones that perpetuated that, who told me that I was the ugly, I was the blackie, I was the darkie, your lips are too full, your nose is too broad, your eyes are big and weird and everything that they could pick apart, they picked apart. And so I remember being a little girl sitting in the tub, making the water hotter and hotter so and scrubbing because I wanted to see if something lighter was under there. I thought I was dirty. And then I went to school and I was tall and the boys were all shorter than me and stuff. And so I was always too tall and then I was super thin and they would talk about that. And so I would wear extra clothes and I would slouch and I would tuck my lips in. And I was just a mess. Like I was just uncomfortable with every part of me. And it wasn't until I was 21, 22 years old, my husband, my now husband of almost 12 years, but then he was my boyfriend. Um, he had put up, blown up some big pictures of me that he loved. He decorated my uh, first condo while I was out of town. And he put up these big posters. And when I came in, I cried. I loved what he did, yeah. but the posters seemed cruel. Whoa, so you cried because you thought it was mean-spirited. I knew it wasn't yeah, logically, right. but inside I couldn't reconcile why he would do that. And I just kept saying, why? And he's like... Uh, you know, I think these are beautiful. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. My husband um, then kind of suggested that I go to therapy and in therapy for two years, pretty much talking about all the childhood trauma and different things Mm -hmm. that I had experienced. And that was the first time I learned to forgive people that would never say, I'm sorry. Mm. And I realized that hurt people really do hurt people. I was 25 before I could look in the mirror without cringing. So I've only been okay with myself really the last 10 years. And ironically, that was the same for, that was the same year my business hit seven figures. There was just like a lot of- Not coincidence, right? Yeah, no coincidence. But now as the mother of a preteen, beautiful brown girl, I feel like I have to keep having that conversation and making sure that she also knows how beautiful she is and that, you know, people just say things, but you have to know who you are. and. I'm so glad I got that lesson before I lost all my money. Right. (laughs) Speaking of identity, right? Because I had become so secure in, in knowing who I was and knowing that I was a woman of purpose. 
and knowing that even though I lost all my money, my mind wasn't bad. And if I did it before, I could do it again. Um, I like that you said that you, you're glad that you did the work before you lost everything, because that must have been hard, especially having come from a place of insecurity, then getting confidence enough to build up a seven-figure business. Yeah. That's at that moment where you're like, I got this. Right. Like, I know my shit. Like, I'm good. <laughs> and then you lose it again. And yeah. if, if you held your... Uh, your identity and confidence to your business, yeah. then that could have easily have spiraled you back to where you were before the photo. Absolutely. Came. I saw it happen with so many of my peers mm. who were in real estate at that time. People were used to making multiple six figures, seven figures, eight figures, and then go right down to nothing. A lot of people still have not rebounded. Mm, right. And people ask me all the time, how did you do it? The work started before then. Mm. And that's really why, you know, even in my work now with redefining wealth, I really teach people that wealth is not just about money and material possessions. If your wealth is only caught up in money and material possessions, you're going to eventually be miserable at some point mm -hmm. because those things take a dip, you know, and they, they can go up and down or in or out or, you, you know, I've seen, I know friends who have sold businesses for multi-million dollar figures and then they didn't know who they were after the mm -hmm. business was sold, had a lot of money, but they didn't know what to do with themselves because they didn't have anything else attached to who they really were as a person. And so redefining wealth, I teach people that wealth is about well-being in every area of your life. And so I break down these pillars, but I do it so that folks can understand that we have to be fulfilled mm -hmm. in different parts of our lives. If one thing goes down, that can't be the end all be all. So if we're actually aware and paying attention to these different areas of our life and we know that there are ebbs and flows in life and there are seasons where some things are going to be awesome and other things are going to take a dip. But overall, we're good with us. I think that's the goal, you know? I love For me, it is. That is what I find so incredible about your message. Mm -hmm. Because I absolutely was the person that was like, oh, well, once, once you get the money, right? And I know that you'd yeah, love to talk to you about Once we get this, once we get the house, once we get, we'll be happy. And I for sure did it. And I kept my head down. And for five years, I was grinding and grinding and building quests. And we were at the top of the game. And that's when my health went terrible. Yeah. And for four years, I've been struggling and I couldn't eat and I couldn't barely get out of bed. And that's when I was like, I'm, I'm like the typical cliche right now that mm. money can't buy happiness. And people don't, I think, really believe it until they've had something like your business fails or mm -hmm. my health fails. And you're like, wow, if I don't have that purpose to hold on to, then what does everything else matter? What does it mean? Yeah. What good is it? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why FIT is actually our first pillar. So I was going to say, let's talk about that. Yeah. Then. yeah, FIT is the first pillar, and I talk about becoming your best self. And, you know, I already talked about my journey with therapy, which I'm still always in some form of therapy or counseling, even now. Which is but, amazing, by yeah, the way. like always maintenance yeah, going on. Yeah. Um, but so... I talk about being mentally fit because I do believe a lot of us are praying, hoping, wishing for levels of success that mentally we're not prepared for. Mm. Like you can think that getting to the top and but the more visible you become, there's a lot that comes with it. And you have to be mentally prepared for that. So we talk about that. But then physical fitness, I truly believe that if we have a vision for our lives, that it's our duty to protect the vessel needed to execute the vision and we've been there i when i was building my first business i'm there sun up to sundown i go back i would leave go back to the office you know i mean grinding making it happen but i looked healthy i looked relatively healthy mm -hmm. but then at one point i found myself in the er for food poisoning 
And, you know, the doctor comes in, he's like, ma'am, do you realize you have other issues? Your blood levels are so low. Your hemoglobin levels are so low. Mm. For a woman your age, you should be at a 12 and above. You're at a 4.8. Wow. He's like, you're on fumes. And that means that you've been going like this for years. Mm. Did you even realize? Mm -hmm. And he gave me a couple days to get to a hematologist. I got the IV treatment. And a few weeks later, after it really kicked in, Lisa, when I tell you I was bouncing around, I was like, oh my gosh, is this how healthy people feel? I had no idea, but I was like, here I am saying, well, God enlarged my territory and I can barely breathe around Beverly Hills. Mm -hmm. Where are you going? Mm -hmm. You want all this stuff. You want to have these long lines at your book signings. You have to be able to stand up and engage with people and talk to people and do what it takes to travel back and forth across the country and do it. You have to take care of yourself in order to do that. And I think sometimes in the grind to build, we just forget the only vessel we get. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was so amazed and I am so with you. Absolutely incredible. So take me through then the other pillars because yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So the next pillar is people. It's about creating relationships that matter. And so often when you're trying to build something again, you're always looking for who can do what for me. And I've always kind of taken the other approach and saying, instead of saying, what can I get? I'm like, what can I give? And how can I support other people? And I truly believe that there's always someone watching you who has the power to bless you. But how do you show up? Mm -hmm. And most of us are only showing up with the, you know, bright eyes and stuff. If we think the person who can do something for us is watching, but then we treat everyone else like crap. But so to me, relationships are everything, uh, not just professionally, but also personally. Mm -hmm. My daughter taught me a great lesson years ago. She was about six years old and I had been on a tour and I came back. I was in and out, but it was a lot in a short period of time. And three times in a row, she called me the nanny's name. She called me the nanny's name. She was so excited. She was telling me a story. And she's like, Miss Angela, oh, Miss Angela. And that broke my heart. Oh my God, that's breaking my heart. It broke my heart. And that was one of the first times that I, because I worked from home. So I felt like, well, I'm home. And I was confusing being present with being present. Wow. And her calling me that innocently, just a little kid. Yes, she was like six yes. years old. I was like, wow, I really need to do a better job of being present. I still need support because I understand that as much as I'm called to be her mother, I am still called to be the money maven. And I I wear both those roles and those hats proudly. So it's not about trading one Mm -hmm. for the other, but it is about understanding that when I am working, I'm fully present Mm -hmm. to the fact that I'm working. But when I'm also mom, I do my best. Am I, you know, 100% of the time? No, but I do my best to make sure that she knows that, you know, she's loved, that we have a good relationship. I schedule things as much as possible around her activities. It might drive me crazy to go cross town and trying to get to all her stuff. But I do my best to make sure that she knows that she's loved and she's supported and that I'm present. Mm -hmm. And that to me is what the people pillar is about because what good is it to have public success and then be a private failure. What good is it for all these young girls? I was just speaking yesterday, a couple thousand young women. What good is it for them to run up to me and hug me and, oh, Miss Washington, you changed my life and all this stuff. And then my daughter be at home and not know. And a lot of people live that way. 
and my husband and I have made a commitment, especially as she's going into these middle school years and mm -hmm. high school years, that we will be present for her. And so we've shifted a lot to make sure that we can be. Yeah. And that people pillar, that's what that represents for us. Wow. Yeah. That was strong. Okay, take me through the space then, how, why that's important. Oh my gosh, the space pillar. I think the space pillar is something people just do not even consider. So I really talk a lot about clutter, and we say that clutter is the physical manifestation of chaos in your mind. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but if my desk is completely a mess, I can't get things done. Yeah. I, I will rather go sit at another table or go to the kitchen counter and go somewhere else, but I can't sit in a space that has too much clutter going on and actually focus and think because I'm a content creator, mm -hmm. right? And so that takes a lot of creativity and going within. And if you are so distracted by all the little pieces of junk you have everywhere, you don't realize how you block your own creative energy and your ability to move forward. So I really am big on like organization and just tidying up and beautification and putting yourself in a space that makes you feel good so that you show up as your best. If you are wasting time moving your laundry aside on your bed, <laughs> going, I'm just going to push it to the side and sleep in this corner. Yeah. Like that is a waste of your mental space. That is taking up mental real estate that you could use for something much more productive. My husband and I, we were moving recently. We're preparing for another move now. Okay, and so for in the interim, we downsized into a smaller space. And so we were going from this huge house and I was finding things in every nook and cranny of that house. Now, the house always seemed immaculate mm. and always tidy, always in order. But what really hit me is like how many things were hiding. And just because they were nicely organized, I didn't realize that it was still stuff. Hmm. that I had just been carrying from season to season that no, was no longer serving me. Hmm. So for me, back to some of those times where I didn't even feel that great about myself. So why do I keep carrying that into every home and every nook? I'm like, no, even the hidden stuff, even when it's stacked nice and pretty, there might be something deeper there that you need to let go of. There's something actually that you said that I really want to talk about is excuses on mm. how many people will give excuses of why they can't save money or adjust their behavior. Mm. Um, and then also I then want to talk about why you say like just saving money for a rainy day is like the worst thing to do. So talk to me. In fact, let's hit excuses first because you must hit oh. every excuse under the sun when it comes to finances. Oh, yeah, I hear it all. Well, of course, I don't I don't make enough is one and I don't make enough to say but what i really push back with is it's not the amount it's the muscle that you're building Ooh, go on it's not the amount because what you're building is the muscle to do these things so mm -hmm. if you put in your head i am a saver and you're like even if i get a hundred dollars a week i'm going to save two dollars it's the point that as you make more money you are in the habit of doing it mm -hmm. what people believe is well when i make more then i'll do it that's not true <laughs> because you are who you are with $100 or with $100,000. You are the same person. So if you are not able to make that connection where you're starting, once you get to wherever you think you're going, you're not all of a sudden going to go, I'm going to be a saver mm. now. And if you are, you're going to undersave because you won't have any frame of reference for like really building up. So you'll go, ooh. 10,000 is a lot. I'll do 2,000, right. right? Like you'll start to make justifications. Mm -hmm. And I like to say that we rationalize a lot when it comes to our finances. And to me, that means ration out lies. We like to lie to ourselves. <laughs> oh, I love 
that. We lie to ourselves. We lie to our friends and family. We, you know, especially if you have girlfriends who are like you, saying things like, well, girl, you deserve that because that's a favor. Okay, let's talk about that. <laughs> That's a favorite. When you have girlfriends and friends and they're like, well, you deserve to right. go do this. It's like, do you deserve that? Or are you thinking about who you want to be in the future? And what do you want in the future? Do you deserve this little trinket that's not even going to fulfill you? You're not even going to really enjoy it past this moment. Or do you deserve that life of freedom that awaits you? Should you get some discipline? Mm. You know, I don't believe in deprivation. Right. I'm not one of those personal finance people who are like, don't get your hair done. Don't get your nails done. Don't get your makeup. Don't do that. I'm not that person, mm-hmm. but I do believe in discipline. And I think a lot of the excuses that we make are really about us not wanting to just be disciplined mm-hmm. and just face it head on. Uh, and we rationalize like way too much. And we associate very negative words. So to your point about the emergency fund, yeah. I really believe that words are powerful. I know you believe that too, yeah, right? 100%. And I believe that what you verbalize, you magnify in your own life. And the more you talk about something, the bigger it becomes to you, Right. the more real it becomes Mm -hmm. to you. Right. And so if you're going around going, Oh my gosh, I have to save for a rainy day. And then you start saying, well, when it rains, it pours. Like you see how it keeps keeps continuing on. I always said, no, I want to save for a sunny day. I don't want an emergency fund. I don't, I don't want an emergency fund. Now, do emergencies happen? Yes. Accidents don't make appointments. Things come up. I totally get that. What I'm saving for are opportunities. I'm saving for the opportunity to invest in that next business or, you know, set up my set or do, you know, invest in my book or invest in this. I always, even as we were rebuilding, I would always tell my husband, we need to focus on what we want. We can't focus on what we don't want. I don't want to think about a leaky roof. I don't want to think about a flat tire. I don't want to think about any of these negative things that people, finance people try to shove down your throat and say, you better prepare for this. Now, here's the reality. If it happens, I've already been saving Mm -hmm. because I've been saving for something I wanted. So now if something does happen, I don't have to make something that should have just been an inconvenience, a crisis. Right. Mm -hmm. I have the money to go do it. Did I want to spend it on that? No, but I would rather have it and not need it. Right. Then they need it and not have it. And so I always have talked about just focus on the good stuff and then you can handle the other stuff as it comes up. But I'm not going to focus on that. Yeah. And I love how you have said, um, you know, putting money towards like being healthy now versus saving your money for when you get sick. Like that hit me hard when I heard you say that. Yeah. Yeah. How many people do that? We don't. <laughs> right. We don't, which is, again, why I always bring up the fifth pillar and being more concerned about how you're taking care of your body now, because I am not working to build this legacy. Right. And get to the end of my life and spend all of my money on prescriptions I cannot pronounce. I do not want to spend all of my money on things that I can't pronounce. The doctors will barely explain it to you. They're like, take this, shove it. Like, no, I don't want to spend my life on that. I would rather sacrifice now and get up early and go work out. And, you know, I would rather make the best choices I can about what I put in my body now. Mm-hmm. I would rather figure out how to get my butt to sleep, even when my mind is racing some nights. And I'm like, I just want to work. I want to work. But I still am forcing myself. Now, there are seasons where you're launching something right. or there's something big going on. And I have been on a 36 hour marathon. 
What I've learned is that can't be a lifestyle. And okay. there are those seasons. I've just chosen not to make it a lifestyle because I don't want to wake up 30 years from now and I can't do things that we could, we should still technically be able to do in our 60s. And when we're 100. Yeah, yeah. Right. You said something earlier about like doing something now small so that when you get to like, as you mm -hmm. get wealthier or you get more successful, working towards your goal, whatever that yeah. may be, the habit already exists. Talk to me about habits and how hard it is for people to let go of bad habits mm -hmm. and what advice you give people to do that. Oh gosh, you know, I was reading a great book with my pod club. I read books with my people who listen to the podcast and we read Atomic Habits by James Clear. He articulates so many principles so well, but one in particular was understanding that when you're building a habit, it's not about, it's not necessarily about the thing that you're doing as much as it is who you're becoming mm -hmm. in the process. So he talks about, for example, someone who says, I don't smoke versus someone says, I'm not smoking right now. Both these people are trying to quit smoking. That is their goal. And they're trying to break the habit of smoking. But one person says, I'm not smoking right now. And one says, I don't smoke. I'm not a smoker. Do you see how that immediately yeah. shifts? Like, okay, so now you have an entirely different perspective on how you should show up or who you should be in that moment. And I think that that's the thing. Sometimes we set goals or, you know, and then we have these habits that we want to form in order to reach the goals. But we're so focused on that, that we forget who we need to become in the journey. Mm. So if you shift who you're becoming in that journey, then it's not so hard because every day you're remind you're just reminding yourself, I already am that person. The days just need to catch up. <laughs> right. The days just need to catch up to who I already am because I'm claiming it and I'm affirming it every day. And so that's how I have looked at goals, because I used to say I'm not a runner. Did you know that no. I used to I had this whole story going on in my head my whole life. I'm not a runner. Like my friends would invite me to things. I'm like, girl, I don't run. Mm -mm, mm. I don't run. And one day I woke up and I heard myself say it to someone in a conversation and it just irked me. And I was, I remember I was driving and I was thinking to myself, your legs work just fine. You don't have bad knees. There's nothing really wrong with you. And then I'm like, who told you you don't run? Where the heck did you make that up? And I said, I'm a runner. Girl, the next day I started running. And I built my way up. Now that first mile was a mess, honey. It took me <laughs> 20 something minutes to do a mile. But now I can do three and a half miles or so in like 20 minutes. And I shifted who I was saying I was or what I was saying I was capable of. And so I think with any habit you want to form or break, mm -hmm. it's about shifting, first of all, what you say about yourself, because most of it is a story that you made up anyway. So all you have to do is change the story. And not that it's easy, but it's definitely doable. Yeah, I love that. The stories we tell ourselves about ourselves are everything and mm -hmm. language matters, like you said earlier, yes. right? The words we choose to use. Um, and I used to do that with things like, I can't play the piano. And mm. now I stop myself and I say, I choose not to play the piano because I believe wholeheartedly and I force myself to do it. Every mm -hmm. time I go to say, I catch myself and reframe it. <clears throat> and it's taught me to say, Lisa, if you wanted to play the piano, you could. could. If you wanted to be one of the best in the world and you're willing to put in the work, I could. 
So now mm -hmm. I, it's not that I can't, I choose not to. Um, let's talk about comparison actually. I think when we're in um, relationships, marriage, yeah. even just friendships, we do compare ourselves. Yeah. So let's talk about comparing ourselves with being able to save money or how we spend money. Because uh. I'm sure just in my own life, my husband and I have really focused on talking about money very openly, making sure that we have that communication. But I'm, I'm sure there are many people that do butt heads because they're comparing themselves. Oh, yeah. They're trying to make each other each other. Right. So talk yeah. to me about that. How I do you work through that? I've worked with so many couples over the years. I used to do this thing called the Couples and Money Challenge. Literally just walking them through these 10 steps to have better communication about money. And one of them was just, one, first of all, getting to know yourself. So how you grew up with money. So getting to the root of what are those verbal influences? What are things that you heard about money? What are your beliefs about money? What are some of the triggers for you and connections to different things? Like if you grew up hearing that money was the root of all evil, oh. you could be the most talented person in the world, but you will find a way to just either give money away, sometimes to your own mm. detriment or to lose it. People will find ways to self-sabotage and not even realize that deep down it's because they believe money is evil and that rich people are mean, mm. scary folks who take advantage of the poor and all that. And so they have this whole story that may have been passed on from generations. And then you have, you know, the, the spouse or the mate or whatever who has a completely different mindset mm -hmm. about it. And they see it as, you know, freedom and choice and opportunity, you know. So I grew up not having much in South Central Los Angeles. I never wanted for anything, uh, but, you know, it just wasn't like this luxury that you threw around mm -hmm. either. And so what was kind of my money love language was more. I love that money love language. Yeah, my money love language was like was safety and stability. Oh and wanting to see all the money stacked in the bank because now I know that I'm okay, you know. My husband's money love language was very much about gift giving. Oh. So when we first got together, you know, he can't give you just like a pair of shoes in one color. If he thinks you're gonna like it, he'll buy every color they have, <laughs> right? And so, yeah, it seems really, it is really it sweet. Seem, seem but so. when I was like, when we were first getting started at this, I would go, why did you buy three? Like that was, I have one set of feet. Like I can't put on three <laughs> pair of shoes. Like I would just say things like, what are you doing? Why would you need to do that? And so we would butt heads, Why? right? Because all he was trying to do was show love and affection. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted the lights to stay on. I wanted gas in my car regularly. Like I was never, I wasn't into shopping and stuff. So I had to learn to accept though that in his family, how he grew up, that's how he learned to show love. And so first understanding ourselves and then taking the time to go and how did you grow up? Mm -hmm. And once I made the connection and made it not a right or wrong, it was like, this is just, this is how he grew up. This is all he knows. For him looking at me, this is all she knows. This is what she heard so that we could finally go, now what's our right. money love language? So now how do we create our plan? Mm. And so now we have, you know, we have our own system and we vibe now, right? We can communicate it without attacking because it's not, it's not about you're wrong or I'm wrong. Neither one of us are wrong, we're just different. I love that. So did you put then rules, I guess, in place of how then you were going to handle your finances once you got married? Yeah, we have shared goals. So we have a shared vision board, you know, type of thing for the things that we wanna achieve as a family. 
Um, and then, and we even involve my daughter a lot in like oh. our decision making, or at least letting her know, be aware of why we make the choices mm. that we make. You know, when we downsized out of that big house, I did a whole episode on this. We moved into this 2000 square foot apartment down the street from our old house. And people were going, oh my God, did they lose all their money again? Why? Oh, uh, what happened? Well, what's going on? But we told our daughter up front, daddy's starting this business. Mm. We're investing in these two apartment buildings. They're 20 units plus. You know, we're going to buy a new home in the city that we're moving to. So we told her in 12 months, mm -hmm. here are the things that we're doing. And so daddy and I thought downsize, stack the cash, invested in these things. And so we were like, OK, we don't care about what anybody else thinks. Here's mm -hmm. what our plan is. Here's what we know we can do. Here are some of the other businesses we're investing in with friends and stuff. And sometimes that's the season that you're in and just being okay with getting on the same page about that. And so once we kind of identify goals, then we look at what are the potential sacrifices, if any, we'll have to make so that we can stay on top of it. And also being aware of what really matters to each of us because we have shared goals, but then we're still individuals. So mm -hmm. he has this thing, stuff that he wants to do. I had things for my business I wanted to do. And we just talked about it up front. The biggest thing is talking about it and not beating each other up because you're different. I love that. And the point that you made that's so strong that I really want to hammer home yeah. is no one's right and no one's wrong. No one. That was so strong. No one. It just is. Yeah. And if we just treated each other like it just is, mm -hmm. Right. Like how much, right? Like how much better could the communication be? People say that folks divorce because of money. No, they divorce because of the communication oh. about money or lack thereof. Yeah. And we make it such a taboo topic mm -hmm. and we have so many emotions attached to our finances because of how we may have grown up that we bring all of that to the table. And we have to understand that this person you know, they were living a completely different life 20, 30, 40 years before you came in the picture. This is not a personal attack on you. Right, right. <laughs> this is just what they were doing. And so now that you're here, it's just time to talk about what you're going to do together. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's in that conversation where somebody says something like, oh, you think that? Then judgment comes and the walls come up and then you're, you know, butting heads because then you don't agree because then well, you feel judged. Now, especially for our ladies, mm -hmm. you know, in, in this book in particular, I talk about you cannot force anyone to be better with money. Hmm. And what we like to do, especially when we just learn something and we're feeling really smart, we want to nag other people to death. So now we're ready to change. Right. And now we want to, we were able to change when we felt like it. Right. Mm -hmm. But now that we want them to change, we're like right behind them. What are you doing? Why are you doing it that way? Well, when are you going to come over to my side? Well, no, <laughs> we're like, we're so upset about things. It's like, dude. Yeah. You can't nag anyone to be better. The best you could do is be a good example. My husband and I used to be a saver. And so he had to learn. And so then as, you know, as we've grown over this last decade now that we've been rebuilding everything, he gets it. Mm. He's like, I'm so grateful. Like now he appreciates the differences. Now yeah. he's like, I'm so grateful for my wife that right. she's a saver. Because then you make a great team because you both bring your strengths to the table. And he, he has taught me how to live my life. Right. I am in a season right now where all I want to do is enjoy the journey because for so long I have set these goals and I've been head down focused, like make it happen type of person that I forget to celebrate mm -hmm. all of those little milestones along the way that really make up the journey because that's who that's what teaches you who you are and what you're made of and who you're becoming in this process. 
and my husband enjoys life. And so you, I think you need that balance. Yeah. I think it's great. So I don't make him wrong. And when I am finding myself judging and making him wrong, I apologize. Mm. And I'm like, you know what? That was my stuff. That wasn't on you. I was, I was getting scared, going back into that scarcity place. So that wasn't, that wasn't you. And he also can acknowledge, you know what? I was way, I was way over here and we said we were going to do this. So I apologize. And so it just, it took several years. We've been married almost 12 years, probably the first three years, money talking. And plus we were got married all at the same time as losing everything. All of that happened at the same time, exact same time. So not only are you getting to like figure out each other's personality, but now you don't have very much money to even fight about. Yeah. So now it's a big fight when it's less money. It's an even That's bigger true. fight, you know? Um, but we, we were both committed to figuring it out and, and doing it in a non-judgmental way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you said that basically there's, it's all about the emotion behind the money. It's That's not about it the money itself. It's so true. Before we started Quest, um, I was a stay-at-home wife mm-hmm. for eight years. And for me, I remember um, asking my husband, like, if I would go out, I'd like, hey, babe, do you mind if I just, like, spend 20 bucks? And especially because we were saving, so yeah. it's like every penny. <laughs> and I, I got to the point where emotionally it didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. I didn't like reaching out and asking him because we had decided as a couple I was going to stay home and he was going to go out to work. So if we decided that as a couple, then our finances, in mm-hmm. essence, in my opinion, are split as a couple. <laughs> So we ended up coming up with a system where I'm like, okay, $20 a week, you know, back mm-hmm. then we, had, we didn't have much at all. So it was $20 a week or a month is going to be for me and $20 is for you. And neither of us have to even tell each other what yes. we, we're going to spend it on. Yeah. If I want to spend it all on comic books, I'm going to spend it on comic books. Mm-hmm. And that freedom allowed my emotion for me to feel better about myself, mm-hmm. which then allowed us to communicate better. Yes. Yes. And that's what I suggest, too. I always say that his, hers and ours. Right. And so once you predetermine what that number is, no questions asked, Mm -hmm. no questions asked. But if you spend all your money on Friday, you're done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to actually talk about women and money. Yeah. Because for a long time, I was very shy, embarrassed, um, coy about talking about wealth creation. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, wealth creation is amazing. And yeah. as long as you're, it's like a power, as long as you're using it for good, then bring on mm-hmm. the money. Like we're very shy as women to say that money can be powerful, that money can be awesome. Yeah. Um, talk to me about that. What have you found is the hardest thing for women to handle and how, how do you get them to shift their mindset? Well, what I find in my work is one of the hardest things are for women to negotiate. Okay. for themselves. Now, you know, we will, we love to speak up for our girlfriends, you know, or we'll be in the background like, girl, you deserve you know, <laughs> to get everything it's supposed to come to you. Right. But then for ourselves, a lot of times we will accept the first offer put on the table. Sometimes we are so quick to be in, or, or so excited to be invited to the table mm. that we don't ask any questions. And we're like, oh, okay, well, this sounds good. This looks good. And a man, let's keep it real, who is yeah mediocre at best is super excited to go and negotiate, you know, two and three times, but you'll have a woman who can check off every box, every qualification. She's done everything Mm -hmm. under the sun. She'll get a low ball offer and to not make waves or not be considered a bitch or not be considered all of this stuff. She won't, 
negotiate. Mm -hmm. I have women in my community do what I call a brag binder. Okay, tell me more. And the brag binder is about pulling out every thank you card you've ever received, every letter of recommendation, um, every positive email you printed down, every assessment. Pull all of that stuff out, pull it all down, read it and remind yourself of who you are before you go back to that negotiation table or before you reply to that email. And not just in a corporate setting, but even as entrepreneurs, I see so many women, you know, I coach women through this, right? They'll say what their price is. And then before the person could like open their mouth, they're like, but I could do more and more and more, or I could bring it down, or I could do two for one, or I could, and they start negotiating themselves down right. to do more work for less money because they forget who they are. And I've been guilty of it. I forgot who I was. I remember when I would get calls to go to all these shows and do stuff, I would be so pumped up. Like, oh my gosh. And then they would start asking for all this unreasonable stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, well now it's getting, and I'm like, wait a minute. One day my husband told me, babe, they're not calling you because there's nobody else out there. They're calling you because you're good. You're damn good. Like you're the bomb at what you do. So you don't have to settle for terms that don't satisfy you. Hmm. You can push back. If you only travel first class because we only travel first class, then you tell them I only travel first class. If you don't, you know, do things a certain way that you don't have to settle for that. They, there's plenty of people out there. They want you for who you are, for what experience you bring, for the level of talent you bring, for the level of energy you bring. They want you for you. And this is what that comes with. So why do you keep dummying it down, accepting the first thing that folks throw at you, being excited to be invited just because you got the invitation mm -hmm. um, and not going for more, not going for what you're worth. And that was a wake up call for me. And then I start telling everyone, yeah, I got to remember that. But if you, you tend to forget, especially as women, I think in this day and age, we kind of go on from one thing to the next. We mm -hmm. achieve one thing and we go and we do the next thing and we keep going, which is why I said I'm in a season where I want to enjoy the journey. Love that. Because if you just keep, you know, going from thing to thing, sometimes you forget just how much you've already accomplished. Mm -hmm. And because you haven't hit that ultimate goal yet, you still see yourself differently than other people see you. And this is still, again, one of those things that I am wrapping my mind around. Mm -hmm. I'm like, before I get on a big call, like about some type of deal, is just to go back through and not so much about the boxes that have been checked off in terms of qualifications. Mm -hmm. I go back and look at the impact. I go back and go, I read these DMs. I read the thank you notes from people. I read the stuff from people saying, you know, because of you, I got out of debt. Because of you, I can't believe I'm, a just yesterday I met a young woman, 28 years old, single mom of two, bought her first home after reading my book and doing everything for a year. She's like, nobody in my family has ever owned a home. And wow. I thank you, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I look at, the impact for me is the people. Mm. And if I ha have been able to do anything that has helped people change their lives, then I will not allow some big company to come and offer me peanuts to be a talking head or something. Mm. It's like, no, I'm good. 
I could stay at home and keep doing what I'm doing. That's what I was going to ask you in those moments, because that's mm-hmm. the fear, right? It's that if I push back and I am perceived as being unreasonable or bitchy and the things mm-hmm. that you said, what if they turn around and close the door on my face? So, right, it's out of fear. Like, I don't want to be I have a great rejected. example. Oh, please. I have a great example. So when I, before I became a regular on the Steve Harvey show, mm-hmm. the first iteration of it when I was in Chicago, the first time they invited me, there was a sponsor attached to it. Okay. And they were going to pay me $15,000 to be on for four or five minutes. Wow. Not a bad gig. Not at right? all. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, I had been doing radio, but I hadn't right. done his television show yet. And I'm like, wow, we've been looking for a way to get me on. This is perfect. They sent me the script and there were things in there that I did not agree with. And I Mm. value my voice so much because I know that people trust it, that I was like, that is not advice I would give my friend or my daughter. And so I cannot go on national television and say that to millions of people. So I replied and said, I would love to do this, but I can't say that and that. And they're like, well, no, you know, the, the, you know, the sponsor what, needs yeah. you. It has to be delivered by you. I'm like, can Steve say it? They're like, no, they need it to be delivered by the expert. I'm like, I can't do it. And they said, we've been trying to get you on for months. Like, this is, this is the, and I'm like, no, I appreciate it. I'm so humbled. I'm grateful. But I really value that what mm-hmm. I say will, will really land and yeah. matter to people. And I can't say that. And I turned it down. And people were like, oh, my God, you're crazy. What is wrong with you, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what's for me is for me. What's for me is for me. If I'm supposed to do, you know, the show, I'll do it. I, I don't know. Two months later, same sponsor comes back. A different type of opportunity, but I'm fully in alignment with the script. And I went to Chicago. I filmed. And that was the first of, I don't know, two dozen Oh, that's amazing. I yeah. love that story so much. Yeah. That's Chase Purpose, not money. But we never, we, and people think that you're talking about purpose because you already have money. No, no. even before then, mm-hmm. by then I was doing well, but you know, even before then there were so many opportunities where I could have done things and I'm like, not for the money mm-hmm. will I compromise. I just can't. And I feel that because I've taken such a strong stance on that, again, people, you think that people are going to be like, oh my gosh, she's a bitch. Actually, people have been like, oh, my God, I respect you. Because they know that you're somebody who's going to be authentic and they can yeah. trust you because you've already shown everybody that you're willing to turn down the money, that no yeah. amount of money is going to make you say something that you truly don't believe in. That's I, said, I said this clip will live on for years. Right, of course. This, this clip will be out there forever. Why would I take 15000 now and compromise mm-hmm. any number of things that could come in the future? I will not. Now, if I make a decision to say something that maybe the you know, public doesn't agree with, then I can own that. Right. I can own it. Yeah. That's fine. But I'm not going to do it because someone offered me. 10,000, 15,000, 150, I'm not going to do that. Mm. Like, I have to feel good. I like to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. I want to know that I made choices rooted in faith, not fear. Mm. And so the fear of, oh, they won't invite me again. There's other shows. The fear of, well, they'll think I'm a bad person. I know I'm a good person. You know, the fear of what people can make up. Mm. I, I, I do this exercise I'm writing about in my new book now, and it's, what if, which are the things that we fear. Mm-hmm. So it's the what if. So anytime I'm up against a scenario where I'm feeling anxious or like, you know, mm-hmm. you get those feelings right. Yeah. 
I try to stop, go in my journal and write out what if. So what are all these things that mm -hmm. I have going on? And then on the other side of the sheet, I write what is. This is the truth. This is the reality of what's going on. If they don't invite me, the truth is there are other shows, <laughs> right? Yeah. If they don't like me, the truth is other people do, <laughs> yeah. you know, like if and for every mm -hmm. if that you have, there's always an is that is the truth of this of what's going on. And when I look at the what is, then I get to tell myself a new story. Hmm. We all make up a story anyway. Why not choose one that empowers you instead of one that keeps you crippled in fear? Right. Yeah. Ugh, girl, mic drop, girl. That was amazing. Where can people find all your amazing content, your book, and you and everything oh. that you're doing? So, patricewashington.com is all things Patrice Washington. Everything, the podcast is there, videos, uh, speaking dates, all that good stuff. And then I'm really active on Instagram. That's my favorite place to play. I have a presence in most social media, but Instagram, I'm at Seek Wisdom PCW. Amazing. And now for my last question, yeah. what do you consider your superpower? I think my superpower is, no, I don't think, I know, mm. is resilience. Resilience. In order to keep in alignment with your identity and, and be able to go through these different things that life may throw at you, I believe that my ability to just keep getting back up and getting back up and getting back up, you know, if I get knocked down 10 times, I will be up 11. Like, I'm just going to keep getting back up. And I truly believe that everything that has happened in my life did not happen to me, but it happened for me. Mm. And because I believe that, I just continue to walk in the spirit of resilience that no matter what it is, Lisa, I got to get back up because I have people to serve and I have a mission and a purpose to fulfill. That's amazing. Yeah. Guys, guys, you got to go out, buy this book, buy her series, check out everything she's doing. I happen to have stumbled upon this woman. We were on a panel together purely by accident and I saw her speak and I was like, I need this woman on the show. Um, and she has not failed to deliver today, guys. So please, please go check her out. And if you're not subscribed, do click that subscribe button. And if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And until next time, guys, go be the hero of your own life.